0: Some of you walked in, you're like, oh, okay, where's everybody at? But let me tell you right now, uh, in my mind, right now, I know that sometimes God uses things that I can't think of. In my mind, I'm about to preach the most important sermon of my life, okay? (laughs) So y'all should be happy that you're here, okay? And I don't say that arrogantly, like, hey, you're about to see the most talent you've ever seen. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has put something on my heart. He has confirmed things to me, and I am really excited. And for me personally, uh, this is maybe the most important sermon I've ever preached. We are going to be continuing in the Gospel of John in chapter four. So we're going to read the text like we normally do. We're going to pray, and we're going to see what God has. Sound good? I'll be reading out of the NLT today. I've been loving the NLT lately. I was a diehard ESV guy. Lately, I've been like, you know, exploring my options, right? Reading some NKJV, some NIV. But every time I'm like reading the NLT, I just love the the verbiage they choose. And sometimes it's actually closer to what the Greek is expressing uh, when you really look at it. So I've just been loving the NLT. So uh, I'm not saying that's like our new translation as a church. We'll just see what happens. Okay. All right. NLT, the way to go. All right. John four twenty-eight. 28. Well, we're going to, we read 28 and 29 uh, last week. But we're going to just kind of read those again to catch up uh, kind of where we were. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well. And ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit... They harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvesters. And it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have done, Lord, Lord. Help our hearts um, not be ignorant to your work. Help our hearts be aware and, and looking spiritually for the things that you have done, for the things that you are doing and you're going to do. Lord, you are an active God you speak through your word, you encourage hearts, you comfort the brokenhearted, you, you you bring in the lost, you are an active God who is moving, who is alive, who's not dead, you are risen, and you are king, and we get to serve you, Lord, we get to be a part of what you have, have planned, we get to be a part of, of your will, Lord. Lord, open our hearts to this. Lord, help me teach Your Word in a way that is reverent and holy, Lord. Uh, a way that is is respectful to Your Word and also passionate um, as 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 You empower me um, with Your Your Spirit to teach this Word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so to kind of fill you guys in, if you if you weren't here last week, uh, we are at the second half of the story where this woman is at a well and and she's a Samaritan woman and Jesus is traveling through Samaria and they they stop in this town and and the disciples go into the town to get food. Jesus sits there because he's tired. He doesn't want to walk anymore. So he sits by the well and there's this woman there. She is a Samaritan woman. So she is of a different ethnicity. She is of a different religion and she is of a different gender. And Jesus crosses all three of those barriers to reach out to Her to say, uh, really to tell her who he is and who uh, she is. He tells her things about her that she he had no way of knowing. He knows who she is and she's, he speaks right to what she's looking for. She's looking to be satisfied because she is thirsty. She's bouncing around from guy to guy to guy to guy to guy. And Jesus points it out. He knows about it. He knows that she's searching to feel full, to feel satisfied. And he, he points it out and says, I can give you something that'll quench your thirst, your need for satisfaction, your need to feel full. I can give you a living water that starts bubbling up within you and it overflows. You'll never be thirsty again. Wow. That's awesome. Right? The living water. So she runs back to her village. The disciples get back. She runs back to her village. She invites a bunch of the Samaritans to come. And that's kind of where we picked up. And this text is about Jesus harvesting, right? People are believing in him. It's about the harvest. So I want to share some stuff that's on my heart before we really break down this text. We had a great Easter. Amen. We had two baptisms. That was amazing. Like that was amazing. We had a decent turnout for our church. It was great. I had to come back from Nepal where I was all hyped up, right? Like, I was like, I was also jet lagged, but I was like, spiritually just like, oh, I'm alive. Like, that was awesome. It felt so great. God's doing things. He's, he works. And then, you know what? The next weekend was a little light, right? Our church does that. We bounce between 20 and 70. It's just what happens. It's weird. Uh, it happens, okay? So, but you know what? So, Sunday, last Sunday, I was looking at the second half of the text, kind of what I normally do is after I preach one sermon, I look at the next text and just get my initial thoughts out on Sunday. And then I pray about it all week and normally finish my sermon on Saturday. But I was doing that. I looked at my at this text and just kind of put out my initial thoughts. And I was like, OK, I'm kind of seeing some stuff here. But I was really discouraged Satan was just discouraging my heart. And I was like, I should have somebody else pray for. Uh, preach this sermon because I don't think I have the faith to preach it. I don't think I have the faith to preach it. So Monday morning comes around and uh, we have a two-month-old beautiful little daughter who loves to cry. Uh, and she wakes up at five and just doesn't want to go back to sleep. So once and I are basically just taking turns rocking her and stuff. And so from five to like seven thirty. I was either rocking her and praying or laying in bed, um, and my heart was just so battered and so tired and so worn out of, of doing the pastoral work, if I'm being completely honest. But I also simultaneously absolutely want to see our church grow. I want to see lives changed. So a little bit about me. Since I was like 16 years old, all I have wanted to do is share the gospel, teach God's word, and empower others to live a life um, in God's will. Like, that is all I have wanted to do, right? Like, that has been, like, I felt that was my calling when I was like 16. I went to Bible college because of that calling. God kept reaffirming that calling. I had people prophetically come up to me and say, hey, you're called to ministry, or hey, you're called to pastoral ministry. And then I felt, okay, so what I want to do is I, I feel like I'm, I want to be a church planter. So I helped three other church plants get started. And then we started this church plant in faith with about 15 people uh, two years ago. And we, we didn't raise money. We didn't do any of that. We just stepped out in faith and said, let's see what happens. And we've seen awesome things and we've seen a lot of lows. And two, a little over two years now, I just feel like my heart was just beat up, you know? And so I was like praying, I was rocking my beautiful daughter and I'm just looking up and I'm praying to God. If you don't want me to be doing this, tell me if this is me, like if this is just my desire, if it's just about me and I don't realize it, like you weren't really in this and you didn't really want to do it. Show me right now. Give me a sign today and I will I'll tell the elders we'll we'll shut it down. It's not what I want. I was like, Lord, but if you're not in it, tell me we'll shut it down. So I prayed. Nothing changed. Immediately went to work. I'm sitting in my truck waiting for a store to open because it was opening later than I thought. uh, And I get a text from Ernesto. Ernesto was at the gym, and a guy that's a believer and apparently has the gift of prophecy walked up to Ernesto and said, Hey, you need to give this verse to your pastor. This is the verse, 1 Timothy 4 14. The guy gave it to us in the amplified version, which I think was also part of uh, God. Um, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was intentionally bestowed on you by the Holy Spirit through prophetic utterance. When the elders laid their hands on you at your ordination. That was an hour and a half after I had prayed the prayer saying, God, if you're not in it, tell me I'm fine with it. Like if this, you're not in it, just tell me. He tells me the opposite an hour and a half later. Thank you for texting me, Ernesto. (laughs) And I, we got to meet this guy. Talk to him. Okay. Uh, So God encouraged my heart. God, reinstilled that calling that I felt, right? He, he put it back in where it was, where it was torn up. But if I'm being completely honest, the entire two years I've wrestled with doubt. I've, I've wrestled with a lack of faith at times. And I think honestly, a lot of our like leadership team has too. And I think a lot of our church has, we've just wrestled with like, ah, like, should we do this? Should we do that? Is it going to work? There's just a lot of ups, and downs um, in our faith. And Satan has used doubt in this church a lot. Amen. I believe he has. However, God is a very, very big God. In fact, he is the only God. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He knows all things. And he tells us to believe What he says, he tells us to go forward in, in faith, in his strength, in his might, right? Like it's not our energy. It's his empowerment. That's how we go forward. So when we look around and go, how are we going to figure this out? That's the wrong question. The question is, God, how are you going to do this? How can I help? But how are you ultimately going to be the one responsible so we can just give you all the glory and honor and praise? Because we've tried every outreach tactic, every online Facebook marketing strategy. We've done Google AdWords. We've done every element that we could figure out how to do. We have Cody on graphic design. All of our graphics always look good. Like we have good singers on our worship team. Like I feel like I'm a decent enough preacher. So sometimes I'm like, what's going on? Right. We need to believe that God is going to do it. It's his church. He grows it. He's the almighty powerful one. Not me, not you, not any of us. But in his power, we are also very powerful. But it has to take that faith. We have to step forward in faith and know that God has has preordained Austin Chapel to exist and to reach Austin, Texas. God has said that. God has confirmed it to me personally. Now, you can, you're a free man. You can pray for things. You're a free woman, too. You can pray whatever you want to do. If you feel like you need to go somewhere else, that's where God calls you, and you can confidently say that, then go. But I believe that God is doing something here at Austin Chapel, that he has done many things at Austin Chapel, though sometimes we've had some lows, And he is going to continue to do more and more things. And I want you to truly be a part of it. And I'm going to be making sure that everyone in our church is listening to this online. Right? So all of you online too, listening to this a day or a week later, this sermon is for you too. Okay, online people, all right, in the computer over there. So let's break it down because we can learn four things about God's harvest from this text. And there are four things, let me tell you, that our church needs to learn. Amen? We need to learn from Jesus on how to harvest. Amen. All right. John 28 through 30. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So this is my first point. Come and see. Come and see. She has not yet even herself been fully, um, um, she has not yet fully believed. She's starting to believe what Jesus said about him being the living water, like him giving the living water as the Messiah. She's starting to believe this. And she's very intrigued because he told her stuff about her life that he had no way to know, right? So she is very intrigued and she's having the beginnings of faith now. And what does she do? She goes to the village and she tells people, come and see the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who told me everything I ever did, the one who knew me, even though he shouldn't know me. Come and see. And it's interesting. Jesus talks about the living waters flowing and then the people come flowing to him. Right. It says they come streaming from the village to see him. When we just simply tell people, come and see, we don't have to have every answer to their question, but we can say he has living water. He is the almighty God. Come and see. Just, just come and see. Come worship with us. Come read the Bible with us at a community group. Come, come, uh, like let's read a case for Christ together. Come and see. Like I don't have all the answers for you. She didn't yet either, but she could at least say, "Come and see the one who is the Savior of the world, who who gives us that thirst quenching living water." Come and see, because that's the thing. People are thirsty in this world, aren't they? Like we know that they are. They, it's so obvious, right? And we have all been there too, like thirsting for satisfaction, thirsting to be filled, thirsting to be loved. And God, through his son, gives us all of that. So that we never have to thirst again. We can be completely satisfied. We can be completely filled. We can always experience true love through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we have to offer people. So we say, Come and see. Man, it's a beautiful thing. She immediately wants to tell others because she's already experiencing it. Not only that, her story was compelling. Right. Her story was compelling. Let me tell you right now. Your story is more compelling than you realize. If you have drank of the living water, you have streams bubbling up within you and you have something to share because Jesus gave it to you. Your story is more compelling. I have said before I'm I'm wiser now that I wish I had like a meth head like testimony. Right. Because it's just a better testimony. Right. And then, like, I had to learn over time that, like, my testimony of being a third generation, like, teacher and, and preacher and missionary was was my own testimony. And I needed to own it. Right. So that's my testimony that God was sovereign and, and used a family generations to save me. OK, so I can just be confident in that. Whatever your story is. It is compelling if you believe it is and are willing to share it. Amen. Not only that, her verbiage was compelling. What do I mean? She tells the story, her story, but she also says, could he be the Messiah? Right. So to the Samaritans, they were actively looking for the Messiah as well, just like the Jews were. They had some of their own weird beliefs, but they were also actively looking for the Messiah. She used compelling verbiage for what she knew people were looking for. We need to do the same thing when we invite people to come and see. If you know the person, use compelling verbiage. What type of things are they already passionate about? What type of things are they already looking for? Use compelling verbiage. If they're they're actively like, I'm just looking for, for love. I'm looking for a good relationship. Be like, hey, let me introduce you to the Savior of the world who will be your most important relationship. Use compelling verbiage. Verbiage that you know will intrigue them. Amen? That's what she does. It's interesting. uh, He's not, oh, you are. Hey, Brandon, I'm going to use you in two sermons. Is that all right? (laughs) Brandon and I were driving back from a a movie, right, with Josh and stuff, and we were talking about, I guess he fishes every week. Brandon fishes every week. That's awesome, okay? I wanna fish more. Like, it's like, I wanna golf more, I wanna fish more, I wanna do regular, like, pastor things. (laughs) Okay? But Brandon was saying, uh, Brandon, you could even share a little bit, but use different baits, right? He (laughs) was wanting, because he also told me that his greatest fear is public speaking. Brandon's saying that you know I was like I don't know fishing is all luck. He's like it's not at all. It's you're knowing the season, you're knowing the lake, you're knowing the bait, you're knowing the type of fish you're going for. When you take all of the knowledge that you have and you accurately use the right bait at the right time in the right place of the lake, uh, right time of day, all of those things, you will catch fish. You will catch fish. So you have to kind of like be wise on what type of bait to use when. I was thinking about that with the gospel when we're inviting people to come. Cons- come and see when we're, we're using compelling verbiage it's the same way right so we're not changing the message the message is, is the same but we're changing some of the elements to catch fish and Jesus told us that we're fishers of men right and I think that we like the, those men were fishers and so they probably applied some of those same principles when they started evangelizing that they use when they were fishing and that's to just like change your bait a little bit change your technique a little bit change how you're reeling in these kind of things and do it in the wisdom that God gives for sure. And by the leading of the Holy Spirit, ask God, like, hey, how should I approach this relationship and this individual to reach them? Amen. So the first point is come and see. Let's read the second uh, passage here and we'll, we'll look at um, the second part. Uh, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples are urging Jesus, you know, that's just like a like a mom or a grandma, right? They're always urging you to eat something like. The disciples were acting like a good old grandma, (laughs) like you really need to eat something. That's what that's it's just funny to me. Okay, so they're urging Jesus to eat. Jesus says, I have a food you don't know about. Right. It's like he was hiding cliff bars in his like robe. Uh, And then they're like, did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So he's like, no, I don't have cliff bars. Like, I'm not hiding cliff bars in my pocket. He's using the moment to teach a lesson. And he's saying, my nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. That's what fills me up. The title of my sermon, I think I forgot to say it, was, uh, it's the Hungry. Right? And that's my second point here. Jesus had a full belly. Jesus had a full belly, the, f- the filled belly. Doing the will of God is what nourished Jesus spiritually. Listen, some of you are still hungry. Because you're not doing the will of God, you're listening to it, you're reading about it, you're tweeting about it, you're hashtagging about it, but the nourishment comes from doing the will of God, right? Doing the will of God. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking that if I just listen to enough sermons, I'll feel spiritually fed. And those sermons are there to help you, but ultimately to help you do something. Right. Sermons are there to help you do something when you read the Bible. It certainly helps to know the things, but you are supposed to go out and then go do the will of God. When you pray, God is going to teach things to you so that you can go and do things. So it's not just enough to, like, focus in on the will of God. You need to do the will of God. And some of you are like, that's great, but I still don't know what the will of my God or of God is for my life. Yes, you do. You do. And if you really, truly feel like you don't, it's, go to the revealed word. God has already said many of the things that you should do like pray without ceasing, be thankful in all circumstances, rejoice always, like tend to the brokenhearted, preach to the lost. Like it's there, right? You're just really worried about your career, you're just really worried about what house you're going to get, what kind of car you should get. And, I, and it's not that Jesus doesn't care about those things. It's just that he cares about those things a lot less than he cares about the things he already wrote. Like if he cared which car you drove, which job you had, he would have written about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he wrote about the things that were most important. He tells you what to do. And the truth is you can do it in any car and in any job. Now I'm not saying that God won't lead you in those things. But odds are, if you're seeking the will of God, it's just that you're not listening to what's already been told. And the more you are eating of that will of God to to care for others, to worship him, to love and, and, and to, you know, all of the things of scripture, you can think of many, but the more you're actually doing those things, the fuller you are and honestly the better you're going to make those types of decisions like oh should i get this job or that job because you're just in his will you get what i'm saying when you're in his will doing the things that you know because he already wrote about it that you should do those other things come a lot more naturally And it stops being like selfish reasoning, like which job can I make the most money or which job will make me most happy? It starts being questions like which job can I help people the most? Which job can I share the gospel the most? Which job could I love people better at? You get what I'm saying? Your whole heart is changed when you're filled with the will of God, when you're filled with his nourishment, how to do the will of God. I got like tagged in this verse, like at, during worship, I'm going to read it. It says, uh, this is from Ecclesiastes. Obey the king, since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil, for the king can do whatever he wants. He, he is command is backed by great power no one can resist it or question it those who obey him will not be punished those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right for there is a time and a way for everything even when a person is in trouble just obey the king Just obey, he's already written so many things And you're like asking all these questions He's like, well when was the last time you went And just like loved on somebody When was the last time you went to community group Not thinking about yourself, but thinking How can I love and share something that will bless others When was the last time you went to church To encourage somebody When was the last time you went to your workspace To give yourself to others To serve others, to seek their interests More than your own Because the Bible talks about all of these things As his will for your life and when we're doing the will of God, our bellies are full and everything else isn't as appealing, right? Like when your belly is full of broccoli, like Cheetos don't look as appetizing, right? That's maybe the worst thing to pick, broccoli. <laughs> but when you eat like when you eat a good steak and like has some good potatoes and just like a good, I don't know if that's a healthy meal, I'm not a nutritionist, but just a good healthy meal, like You're less likely to eat a bag of potato chips and drink two liters of Sprite, right? But if your belly is not filled with something good, the things that aren't good are much more appetizing, and so we need to be filled with the will of God, and we need to be hungry only for the will of God, and just eat of that meal, amen? third point is the labor this is the next passage here verse 35 you know the saying four months between planting and harvest but i say wake up and look around the fields are already ripe for harvest the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike you know the saying one plants and another harvests," and it is true I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. I think we can really easily miss the significance of what Jesus is saying here, because they are not in Judea. They are not in Galilee. They are in Samaria. And Jesus is saying, though, the harvest is ripe. Jesus is saying the harvest is ripe in the place that you least expect it. Just look up and see what I'm seeing. That's profound to me. What that says to me is every person you've written off, God might still have something. (laughs) Right? Because I've written some people, they're too too far gone. They really don't want to hear it. I don't know. Look again. The harvest might be ripest where you least expect it, or I least expect it at times, for sure. Um, There have been people who have shocked me when when I approach them, and they're like ready to talk, you know, like just totally shocked. So the the disciples must, it doesn't say what the reaction was really here, but they must have been blown away. Because like I said last week, they did not take the normal route from Judea to Galilee. They took a strange route that Jesus took them on to go through Samaria. And because of that, the disciples then hearing Jesus and in John's recording, this is the first time he's really talked about the harvest. uh, To hear him talking about that in Samaria with people that they probably grew up hating. (laughs) Right. Like they grew up trained to hate the Samaritans. And Jesus is like, the harvest is ripe right here. I think that's amazing. The other thing is like, the main thing that Jesus is concerned about here is not like getting tithes from the Samaritans or getting attendance or like putting on cool events. He wants their souls, right? Like that's what he's, that's what he's in the business of. Jesus is a soul reaper, y'all. <laughs> that's so metal. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. That was great. Uh, He wants to reap their souls. He wants to bring them into eternal life. He wants to quench the thirst that they have. He wants to fill their bellies with the will of God. What's amazing? Jesus could have done it all by himself. And he could still do it all by himself. He doesn't need us. But he invites us into the work of laboring in the field. Jesus in Luke's gospel says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you think that's any different for Austin, Texas? Do you really think that Austin, Texas? is so far gone. No, it's just there's few laborers. There's few people willing to step out and actually be bold, actually share the gospel with their coworkers, actually go and love people tangibly, like in real ways. Like when it's uncomfortable for yourself, showing love that way. Jesus tells us, And God's word is true. I believe that 100%. God's word is true. And when he says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, I believe it. And when he shows the disciples here that the harvest is ripe, even where they didn't expect it, I believe it. Not only that, like Jesus is doing all the work here, and he says they get to participate in it. Like, he's like, you didn't labor here. Others labored here. I'm laboring here. You didn't talk to the lady at the well. You didn't teach all these Samaritans, but I'm going to let you do some of the harvesting. That's amazing. That's amazing. Sometimes we get to be the one who sows. Sometimes we get to be the one who harvests. Sometimes we get to do both. But ultimately, we all need to be laborers in the harvest. Amen? What is the will of God for your life? Well, if you have rivers flowing from your heart, if you're filled, um, your belly's filled with the will of God, it's to go and work in his field. It's to go and work in his field. For the experience. John 4.39 Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. At first, they believed because of her testimony, because it was compelling. She had a compelling story and she used compelling verbiage. But then they tell her, and like, how amazing is it to hear this from people? I believed at first because of what you shared. Now I believe because I know him for myself. Now I believe that he really is the savior of the world, not because he saved the world, but because he saved me. It's personal. They had a personal experience. And now it's not the evidence. It's not the testimonies. It's their own heart is saying, I know Jesus. He saved me. He quenched my thirst. He filled my belly. I'm no longer hungry and thirsty for the things that I used to be. Now I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I'm hungry and thirsty to do the will of God. I'm hungry and thirsty to grow in my relationship with Jesus. This is now the experience that the Samaritans are having here. I cannot wait to hear that from more people at Austin Chapel as we're reaping the harvest. People saying, Man, thank you so much for sharing, but now I believe because it's, it's my own testimony. Thank you for sharing how he saved you, but now he saved me, and that's my story. I can't wait to hear more and more of those stories. Are you with me? Everyone needs that experience. Everyone needs to be able to say, I believed because you said it. At first, but now I believe because it's true for me. But I would also say, in, in, in other areas of your Christian walk, maybe we still need to experience some, some things. I think sometimes as Christians, we're content to just watch others go do the will of God and go, oh, I believe that's good. And you need to experience it for yourself where you, where you don't go, I believe evangelism is good because it works for you. You go, no, I believe sharing the gospel with others is good because it worked for me. I experienced it, and I see how amazing it is. Amen? Or I believe it's good for you to go feed the poor, or I believe it's good for you to go feed Blinking on things go work with the redeemed ministries or something like that right I believe it's good for you to love your coworkers, and I believe it's good for you to teach the Bible but there's so many things that I would say to you maybe instead of standing back and watching it's time you go and experience it for yourself the will of God that Jesus is eating from is not like one food. I think it's a buffet of things, (laughs) right? It's a buffet of things. God is such a big, big God. And he has so much opportunity available to those who are willing to serve. There's a whole range of things you can experience in the Christian life. That you maybe aren't experiencing for yourself, you're just acknowledging as good over there for those people. Now, I'm not saying that we're all called to the exact same things or that the Holy Spirit will empower us with the same spiritual gifts. But there's still a lot of things that each one of us can still experience moving forward as we're doing the will of God. Don't limit God. And go, oh, I'm only going to do this stuff. God, all the time, wants to blow that out of our minds and, and really show us just how much he can do, even through us, right? Like, I even think of the, uh, the Apostle Paul. One, he was somebody we would have written off, right? That the disciples did write off, actually, is somebody who's like, no, nah, that guy did not get saved. He's probably just tricking us. <laughs> but he experienced something for himself. He had heard the gospel many times. Never was really that compelling to him. But when he experienced something for himself, he's saved. And then in Corinthians, he talks about like how he's not a good speaker. Yet, like when we read the book of Acts, he's the one who do, who's doing a lot of the speaking. <laughs> right? Like he didn't see himself as a great speaker. Yet, God used him to do a lot of speaking. What I'm saying, don't limit God because of your perception of things. Instead, go, go you know, ask God truly, like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How can I go forward? Start reading the scriptures, and He'll start putting certain verses like on your heart, like you know, to be more thankful, or to rejoice more, or to. Tend to the brokenhearted. And then you'll start seeing people and opportunities as you're going about your life. And if you are willing to step out, God will use you. He will use you. What is your harvest? What is your harvest? As I said before, since I was like 16 years old, all I really felt called to do was to share the gospel, teach God's word, and empower and equip God's people to do what they were called. And that's that's my role in Scripture. Ephesians 4 says, "And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints." For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Who builds up the body of Christ? It's all of us. It's not just the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. They can't do it. It's when the whole church is working together that the body of Christ is built up. And those roles are there to help the believers, the saints. That's what you are a saint. Because you are sanctified. You are made holy holy by God for the work of ministry. I can't and will never be able to build up this church by myself. Ernesto and I will not be able to build up this church by ourselves. Myself, Ernesto, Alan and Aaron with the elders still cannot build up this church by ourselves. All of our leadership, the elders and the pastors, cannot build up this church by themselves. And we're not supposed to. It's when all of us are working together that we can build up the church of Christ. But it's also when we, as the leadership, are appropriately equipping you. And maybe, maybe some of you have just not wanted to join in the game. And maybe the leadership has not equipped you well enough. I'm willing to, to, to go with that. So this is what I want to say to you. Pray. What are the areas that you want to grow in? What are the areas that, you know, you, maybe God's revealing some things to your heart for you to do? What are the like, creative ideas that God has given you? And email me. And I will do everything in my power to equip you. That is my promise to you. That is my role here. That's as much as my role as it is to teach right now, which is part of the equipping, but or to share the gospel out in the streets. Huge, huge part of my role is to equip you. So if God puts anything on your heart, I want to help you. And for some of you, it'll be like, hey, I want to start a ministry, like some sort of outreach ministry. Some of you, it's like, I just want to like, share the gospel with this one person at my work. And I don't know how there's nothing more that will like get me excited than that. Like, first off, that's amazing. Cause many Christians are fine with letting their coworkers just go to hell. Right? And maybe you want some of them to go there. <laughs> so just the fact that you have that desire sets you apart for somebody who's ready for ministry. And where that desire is, that's from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to do the things that He puts on your heart. And the part of how that's done is through the equipping of uh, the saints from the leadership. So email me, whatever it is, we will do our very best to equip you to do whatever it is that you feel like God is calling you to do. Some of you, it's just sharing the gospel with your coworkers or with your family member, or some of you it's starting some sort of, um, you know, outreach or it's to throw a fun event so you can bring people in. Or for some of you, it's like, I think that God might be calling me to Africa or Nepal or one of the other, you know, places on this, on these flags. And I'm going to help equip you. Okay. In fact, that has been one of the things that I've enjoyed most is helping others do what they feel like they're called to do. So pray, what is your harvest? What is your harvest?